Well, hey there, and welcome back to the show. So food has always been challenging for me. In fact, when I was in college, my roommate's father called me the human garbage can, not a lovely nickname, but he was referring to the fact that I would eat just about anything he sent to our dorm room. My mind is either thinking about food nonstop, or I forget to eat when I'm completely immersed in something like my work. It's another ADHD dichotomy that I didn't even realize was a thing. So I invited Women in ADHD founder Katie Weber back to the show to talk about the challenging relationship many women with ADHD have with food. I truly believe knowledge is power and just knowing it's a thing has really helped me be more intentional about food and I hope it will help you too. We talk about binge eating, yo-yo dieting, advocating for yourself in the doctor's office, and how diet culture fails women with ADHD. We talk about why women with ADHD struggle with food, how restriction feeds our ADHD need for, for control in an unhealthy way, as well as simple strategies for changing our relationship with food. Katie Weber is an ADHD advocate and founder of Women and ADHD LLC. She is also the host and producer of the Women in ADHD podcast, ranked among the top 0.5% of all podcasts worldwide. Diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, Katie has made it her mission to help neurodivergent women learn to love their brains and live a more fulfilling, gratifying life. Now, before we dig in, I wanted to be sure that you've downloaded the free ADHD supports guide I created for you. Honestly, it might be a good idea to have your guide handy each week while you listen to the up to the podcast because it's so full of tips, tools, and practices to support you on your ADHD journey. And you might want to include one or two of the simple strategies Katie shares with us as supports. If you haven't already, download the ADHD supports guide at visiondrivenmom.com forward slash ADHD supports or find the link in the show notes. Enjoy the show. And you're listening to the Vision Driven Mom with ADHD podcast with Tracy Nolan Bierman, where we believe that you can have ADHD without ADHD having you. Each week, you'll hear firsthand relatable stories, as well as invaluable tips, tools, and practices for managing overwhelm and using your beautiful, unique mind as a superpower. Motherhood with ADHD is the journey of a lifetime. Let's enjoy the ride together. Well, hey, Katie, and welcome back to the show. I'm super excited to have you here and talk about this really interesting topic of food. Yeah, thanks for having me back, Tracy. Absolutely. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey, your journey with food, your journey with ADHD? Tell us about your podcast and your work and all the things. Where do we start? Um, <laughs> right. I think we'll start um, with dieting because that was really, uh, you know, I went on my first diet when I was 14 mm. and I think, you know, I was hit puberty and was suddenly turning into a woman and my was growing breasts and hips and I was very uncomfortable. And so I, you know, my mother saw that I was unhappy with my body. And so we decided to go on a diet together. And uh, it was it was slim fast. That was the first diet I started on. And um, that really jump started 
uh, years, decades of yo-yo dieting, which mm. was, you know, extreme dieting behaviors, losing lots of weight, receiving a lot of compliments for the weight loss, feeling wonderful about myself, uh, loosening the reins a little bit, or, you know, falling off the wagon, whatever you want to call it, gaining the weight back, feeling terrible, suddenly the comments would stop, and I would feel lousy about myself and then vow that I was going to change everything and go start, you know, turn over a new leaf and go on a new diet. And so that was just basically most of my adulthood, my adult life was this cycle of the yo-yo dieting and uh, extreme weight loss and then gaining it all back with more. And uh, then I had two kids. And after my second child, I joined Weight Watchers. And that was actually the first time I joined Weight Watchers was uh, when I was in my 30s. And and I, I had always kind of avoided wanting to pay for weight loss <laughs> programs. But this time I was like, I'd heard all these things about it and had many mom friends who had joined it. So I decided to give it a try. And sure enough, lost a lot of weight on Weight Watchers. And I thought it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Uh, I was found, and this was all very prior to my ADHD diagnosis, by the way. So um, but I thought it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And I also wanted to keep the weight off because I had had this history of gaining it all back. So mm -hmm. I decided to become a Weight Watchers leader. Mm -hmm. And I thought that if I became a leader, I would be accountable. I would have to weigh in every month and I would come and I would show, you know, come to these meetings and, and it would just become a part of my life, which is what happened. And I loved being a leader. It really brought out this performative element for me. Like I just love standing up there in my little heels and giving out Bravo stars and, um, you know, meeting all of these wonderful people. And I really, really enjoyed that part of it. Uh, but what was happening behind the scenes was I was gaining the weight back and um, as always happens. And I started really developing a severe binge eating disorder um, where I was feeling very, very out of control. And I was terrified because I thought I was going to get fired from Weight Watchers, obviously wasn't telling any of the Weight Watchers members about this, this severe binge eating at night. And I was really, really just, you know, terrified that this was all, you know, that I was going to ruin all of this. And I started looking into binge eating and how do I solve this? You know, how do I get rid of binge eating? How do I fix this? And I came upon a podcast that was called, you know, Beating Binge Eating. And I was like, oh, here we go. Finally, I'm going to figure out how to how to stop this and and lose the weight and, and stay, you know, at this other weight, at this lowest weight. And so... When I started listening to that podcast, I realized that, you know, it wasn't about how to fix the binge eating. You know, the, mm -hmm. the podcast was really about the fact that binge eating is a symptom of something else, which is the restriction that comes from dieting behaviors. And this, mm -hmm. like, blew my mind. I mean, I was... I had been dieting my whole life and never once had this occurred to me, never once had any, I mean, obviously Weight Watchers doesn't tell you about this, but like, it was the first time in my life that I ever realized that the binge eating behaviors were in, you know, a response to the restriction of dieting. And mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, it was so I was like, okay, well, if I'm not going to diet, you know, if I, if I don't, if I'm going to stop with the caloric restriction, maybe I will become really, really restrictive with just like what foods I eat. So I became really obsessed with whole foods and, and, you know, organic everything and certain types of foods, but I wasn't going to limit 
how much I ate. I wasn't going to like track it or use calorie or points or anything like that, but I was really restrictive about what type of food. And I became what I now know is called orthorexic. Um, and I still started binge eating. And so I was like, oh, it's not the literal caloric mm. restriction that's the issue here. It's just right. restriction in general. And that was just opened up a whole can of worms to me where I was like having to look at where am I restricting in my life? And, you know, and that came down to so much more in terms of you know, weight stigma and, and fat phobia and, you know, all of the ways in which diet culture is sort of um, blurring the lines between health and weight in a very, right. very unhealthy way. And so that just, you know, I started reading a lot of the seminal books around health at every size, uh, intuitive eating books, and that's really started that journey of, of um, coming away, you know, uh, a beating, binge eating, and looking at like the diet industry and how destructive it is and how to redefine my own relationship with healthy eating and healthy living and taking into account mental health over weight at all times. Right. And so that, so I started working as a health coach in with binge eating recovery and working with women who also had similar yo-yo dieting uh, behaviors and kind of trying to uh, untangle a lot of the a lot of diet culture and how it related to our relationship with food. And then I was diagnosed with ADHD and discovered, wow, binge eating is really, really common among people with ADHD and neurodivergent right. women. And so I was like, huh, that's really interesting. I wonder why that is. And I started thinking about all of the things with dieting and why dieting especially is really, really appealing for so many of us. And you think mm -hmm. about the structure of calorie counting and, and points and weighing and weighing ourselves and weighing our food, like all of those metrics are really, really appealing to our brains. And I think also being told, like, tell me exactly what to do and externalizing yes. a lot of that responsibility for how we eat and, and our nutritional needs and saying like, you know, looking to the, a book or a magazine or some kind of diet program that's going to tell us how to do things I think is very appealing for many of us. Um, and then I also think that we also have a real heightened sense of, of a desire to belong, right? And so I think we're also prone to diet culture and prone to some of the promises of self-worth that come with, with weight loss. And then I think it was really about like, oh, one of, one of my big aha moments was realizing how much as women with ADHD masking mm. is restriction, right? In right. terms of that Ooh. desire, right? It's in terms of that desire to control who we are and our environment. And food is one of the easiest, quickest ways to start feeling in control in our lives. And so why disordered eating and eating disorders are so common for so many of us is the way in which it's very easy for us to, to feel like we are in control. And, and so that was really mind blowing to me to really start unpacking like how much our, you know, how much restriction and uh, control are inter intertwined with right. the ADHD brain and how that kind of affects us. And then we use food as a stimulation, you know, or, a, or to self-regulate at night in response to those restrictive behaviors. So there's a lot there to unpack, but I think it's no, it wasn't any surprise to me when I started really looking into why 
disordered eating and binge eating in particular are so common. Right. Yeah. And you wrote, thank you for sharing that journey. <laughs> like I just lots of little ahas because I have, I have also, okay. So back up. You also wrote a book yourself, mm -hmm. right? You said that you read lots of books and you wrote a book yourself. Was that before, that was before your ADHD diagnosis. Is that, that right? That was before my ADHD diagnosis, yeah. but again, it's written so clearly by somebody with ADHD for people with ADHD, right, right, which, right, right. which I find entertaining reading it back. And yeah, it really was about my own journey away from a dieting mentality and how, you know, what are some of the reasons why dieting fails, right? And why um, so many of us not only gain the weight back, but gain more. And sort of so looking into some of the science behind our bodies and homeostasis and some of the interesting facts that I had learned along the way um, about dieting, but also realizing that we are not failures at dieting. Dieting right. fails us mm. and the diet industry feel, fails us. And that was a big a big epiphany for me around uh, the parallel between ADHD and my own, you know, leaving diet culture, which was this realization that, you know, with ADHD, so many of us had this feeling like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I make this work in right. so many situations in life? And it was really this diagnosis can be really eye opening because you're like, oh, I wasn't the problem. It wasn't me. Mm. It was sort of the system, right? It was everything right. else was not working for me. And that was a big realization for me with dieting, which was like, I'm not the problem. The problem is dieting and the promises that are often given. And that was something I realized when I was working at Weight Watchers, I would have these members come back over and over and over again and say, this is my sixth time at Weight Watchers. It's the only program that's ever worked for me. And I'd think to myself, it's not working for you right. if you're back six times. And and I remember when Oprah bought Weight Watchers, I had read an article in the in New York Magazine about what a brilliant business model it was for Oprah, but not in the way you would think. It said, you know, uh, you know, buying a company like Weight Watchers is a really great investment because when you're successful, you give all the credit to the program. Mm -hmm. But when you fail, it's your fault. It's never the program's fault. Mm. And so people will come back time and time again because they are led to believe that they're the failures. And it was, I was like, oh, oh right. Oh, and exactly. But I was like, oh, that's very similar to how many of us have felt living in a neurotypical world before mm. we are learn the language around neurodivergency and who we are and how our brains work. So I found that really fascinating to me, that parallel <laughs> in my own life. But yeah, the, the book is really about me kind of coming to this discovery, leaving Weight Watchers and really developing some tools and strategies. And it's broken up into six steps that I went through to to leave dieting and really develop a healthy relationship with food. Yeah, Katie, you just you just shared a whole lot right there. But you know what? That I love what you said. Okay, so so many things, but the the um what you just said about um about that we're not the failures, right? That the diets the the diets fail us. Okay, and and then I'm thinking about and then you know, so many ways. Right. It's like so fireworks going off many everywhere. ways in society that it's not us that's the failure. It's that society fails us. It's that, and it's, 
I think that's an important thing for us to remember. And I, I, I have to re remind myself this as well. My brain is wired differently. The world is set up for neurotypical people, right? Mm -hmm. We tend to already feel like we're, you know, the square peg trying to fit into a round hole, right? We already feel bad about ourselves. Like I should be able to do this and I should be able to do, do that. And then so you add the how, you know, the diet culture and how that's failing everybody anyway, and then add the how we, you know, the the RSD that we that, that we feel or the the uh, the the um, the uh, um, self-worth that we often don't have a lot of. And then it just compounds. Right. It just makes it it makes it bigger. But mm -hmm. I really love that you said it's not we're not failing it's not our fault, right? And that there are different ways and there are ways that, that work for our brains. So, and I, so here's one other thing I want to share that, um, and so I have also, I have a high metabolism. I'm very grateful. It wasn't until I had my kids and I had my kids late in life, but it wasn't until I had my kids that I went to Weight Watchers and was had having struggling a little bit more with, with my weight, but I have always had an issue with binge eating always mm -hmm. like ever since i was a kid thankfully like i said i have a high metabolism so it didn't necessarily show up in my body and it didn't feel like a problem right mm -hmm. but when i look back on my life and so this is this is a, a funny haha not really funny thing but when my um when when my husband met my family for the first time we went out to dinner and my sister said oh welcome to the bread family right and that what that meant is like baked goods, like like comfort, you know, that that's mm -hmm. exactly what that meant for me. And that's it. And if we think about when we're kids and, you know, when we're kids and we're crying, we get, you know, we get the milk, we get milk or we get breastfed. Right. When we uh, when we get a little bit older and we, you know, something happens and we go get ice cream or like everything is around food. So we tend to associate food with emotions. Oh, if I'm feeling sad, I'm going to eat something. If I'm not, if I'm feeling off, I'm going to eat something. Right. And I can't even, and I'm, I'm know that our listeners are going to be able to relate the, to this and you as well, but finding my head in the pantry and not being hungry, you know, maybe an hour after I ate and with the head in the pantry. Okay. Like what, 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 what is in here that is going to satisfy? And I didn't make that connection until, um, until I started really digging into this kind of, into this work that I'm doing now. So maybe seven, eight years ago, I started diving into MBSR, which is the mindfulness-based stress reduction. Mm. And they talk about how, um, how food, like we don't even, taste the food half the time because we're just, we're just, it's kind of just a habit. Does that resonate with you? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that was really interesting to me to explore after my ADHD diagnosis was interoception. And mm. the, the thing that many of us struggle with, which is to understand and feel what's going on inside of our bodies. Yes. as it's happening. And so many of us will eat very quickly and eat very distractedly and, and aren't really paying attention to the taste or the flavor. We're chatting, maybe we're, you know, eating over the sink is something I tend to do a lot. Right. Um, 
And so we're not really very prone to mindful eating. And so I think, you know, a lot, and, and, you know, we're also not very prone to know when we're hungry. A lot of the time, sometimes we go from zero to hangry really quickly because we're not paying a lot of attention to what's happening inside of our bodies. And so that's something I think a lot of us struggle with. And then also um, the stimulation part, which was, mm -hmm. you know, something we touched on earlier, which was like, yes, food is a really great way to self-soothe. And it's something that we is is woven into our culture, like you said, from birth. And it is a wonderful way to self-soothe. It brings up a lot of hormones in our body, a lot of serotonin. So when I talk to kids, when I talk to parents who are worried about their children self-soothing with food, I always like to say like, it's really great that they have figured out a way to self-soothe. Mm, Maybe right. you have some judgment there in terms of what they're doing, in, but let's just acknowledge the fact that they are taking care of themselves in mm -hmm. the best way that they know how, and let's right. acknowledge that that's what we're doing, which is we are taking care of ourselves either to unwind or to self-regulate, right? Food is really great at the end, you know, and why many of us binge at the end of the day is because it serves a lot of that stimming that many of us need. And so, you know, and, and Becca King, the ADHD nutritionist, she talks about unintentional and intentional restriction. And I love the way that she puts that because you think about like intentional restriction, I think of as caloric restriction, right? Um, or, you know, feeling like there's good foods and bad foods and, and what should I not eat? And what shouldn't I eat? And, and, but then the unintentional restriction that many of us experience, which is not real recognizing our hunger cues, getting really, mm. you know, hyper-focused and going all day without eating. Or maybe a lot of us have sensory issues around food. How many times have you opened up the pantry or the fridge and you're looking at all this food and you're like, nope, nothing, nothing. I can't, I can't put anything in my mouth. So you talk right. about some of the sensory issues around food. So there's so much happening um around you know why we do or don't eat but i think so many of us for the most part don't have a a, a relaxed relationship <laughs> with food and i think right. a lot of us operate from a very like what i sh i'm not doing what i should be doing and we get really really worked up about the right way and the wrong way to eat which is in my in my opinion a form of control and restriction that then leads to that binge eating cycle. Oh, that wow so much. <laughs> <laughs> so much. I think we could we could really talk again about food and again and again and again and again. Because you're right. Food is it's a beautiful thing, right? And we have gatherings around food and we celebrate and it's it's a social it's a social thing. Um and then we have our, um, our, you know, not noticing the cues or noticing. So what happens for me a lot of times is that I will be, so I start out the day great, right? I usually, I'm always, I'm a breakfast person, always start, start the day out great. But then I get into my, into what I'm doing and it's really interesting and it's important. I love my work, right? So I really get into my work and I'm working along and, and I'm feeling that I do feel some hunger cues, but I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so focused right now that I'm just going to finish what I'm doing and not taking the time, not planning ahead. Sometimes I do for the most, for the most part, I don't. Um, and then I'm starving and then I do the, you know, eating whatever, whatever. And I know that this is, a, I know I'm not alone in this too, you know, in this, this, I can't stop what I'm doing 
and I know myself, right? I know my ADHD mind. If I stop what I'm doing, I've like, I've lost it mm-hmm. a lot of times. So yeah, you yeah. talk, you speak into that a little bit. Well, also not only that, but there's also the executive function element to feeding ourselves, which is yes. a lot of the time it's difficult for us to feed ourselves Um it's easier to feed others. <laughs> so, you know, I find like in the middle of the day, I just, I'm not going to start chopping onions and making myself a healthy <laughs> meal. No right? right. I mean, my lunch yesterday was dipping carrots into a jar of peanut butter because that was my level of executive functioning. And right. so I think it's really being able to accept and incorporate some of that into your life. And then even, you know, some of us, uh, a a tactic that can be really great for people with ADHD is meal prep, right? So you've Mm -hmm. got healthy meals in the fridge, but then you also like many of us don't like reheated food. So then you have that issue. So, (laughs) right. So it's really knowing what you're capable of and what your preferences are, but also really accepting that eating doesn't have to look a certain way. Mm. Eating and, you know, and that's where intuitive eating and really tuning into like what our body needs is, is a really important step. And tuning in and paying attention is something that many of us naturally struggle with. So, so again, it's kind of a combination of saying, what do I need? What does my body need in this moment? And what am I capable of? And what can I accept in terms of my limitations and how can I not feel constantly feel like I'm doing it wrong, which is another thing I think a lot of us get wrapped up in, which is like, oh, I, you know, uh, I, I feel shame around the way I'm eating or I'm doing it wrong or there's a better way out there. And that's where I think diet culture and fat phobia in particular really mess with our heads in terms of what is healthy versus always, you know, prioritizing weight loss. And, and, you know, even when you're, you know, when kids are little and we're, you know, you were talking about like, you know, always when kids are crying, you give them food, right? You reward them with food and all of that feels okay until they're at an age where maybe they're, you know, starting to naturally put on a little weight because of they're approaching puberty or something. And then that's where it's like the alarm bells go off, right? Mm -hmm. Where parents are like, oh no, I've done something wrong because they're gaining weight. And so that's where we really need to unpack a lot of the fat phobia around behaviors that start to you know, where we start to restrict our children. And then the number one predictor of weight gain over the course of our life is dieting and restriction. So it's Mm. like we start to set that in motion with children at a very young age, where the moment we start restricting food with children, we're setting them on a path of yo-yo dieting and weight and weight gain. And so, you know, that's where we really have to challenge our own uh, behaviors and around the desire to restrict ourselves and our children based on size. Right. And that's a lot to unpack. Yeah, really (laughs) the number one predictor. Yeah. That's wild. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, and here's the interesting thing too. How many, when I look, uh, when I look back on my childhood, there have been many, there many kids who might have looked a little, little heavier than, um, than the rest, right? When I was a kid that just, that grew, right? Right. There was no dieting. There's nothing. They just, they grew into themselves, right? So, um, yeah, I just, I think you're right about the, the, um, 
our culture for one thing, social media, what in the what in the what, like um, such a difficult place for our kids. My 14 year old mm -hmm. daughter has been doing, um, I mean, it's great. She's already active. She's a dancer, right? She's already active, but she's, she's, um, she's been doing exercises so she can have a flat stomach. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, baby, you, you know what? Here's the thing. I have never had a flat stomach ever in my life, right? Never. I've never had that flat stomach that you see on, you know, on, on the images on, 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 on Instagram, whatever, or I'm a yogi. Um, the, uh, the pictures of the people on, um, on the uh, yoga journal. Are you kidding me? My body's never going to look like that. So I think that in addition, we already have that. I should, I should, I should, I should, I should be doing it this way. And I should be doing this. And I know it's healthier if I do it this way. And I know I get, you know, in, in that guilt, I have this guilt sometimes about the way that I'm feeding my kids. And I'm like, you know what? Some days it's that I fed everybody, right? I mean, especially when they were little, I'm like, hooray for me. Like everybody's alive. Everybody ate. <laughs> <laughs> everybody's okay. Right. And so, and the, the, uh, the shoulds, I mean, we, there, there are so many shoulds to begin with, but then when we have the ADHD, I should be doing it this way. And it should be, it should look a certain way. And I love what you're saying about, let's just back it up, you know, and, and kind of let go of the, um, of the expectations of ourselves to do it all perfectly in the way that it's supposed to be. First of all, you know, we, with ADHD, we just do things differently anyway, right? So if you're eating carrots in a, in a, um, a, dipped in peanut butter, which I've not tried that, by the way, I'm, I'm all into like, I love mixing things. So I'm going to try that. I put um, peanut butter on everything. I love it, but peanut butter and raw vegetables. Oh my goodness. It's the great it's cauliflower and peanut butter. One of my really? favorite snacks. Yeah. I know it's so weird, right? But no, it's, it's I love not, it. but you're getting, you're <laughs> getting the, uh, you're getting vegetables. You're getting the protein from the peanut butter. I also, I love a peanut butter. I usually do apples, but I will try the carrots, but those, those things that, you know, I'm usually, I'm usually the, um, the, uh, carrots and hummus. That's what yep. I like, or like yeah. anything that I can dip in hummus or peanut butter. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, see, le letting it be different and being okay with it. Right. Mm -hmm. This is, yeah. this is working for me. Right. And what, what we, um, what, I mean, from what I understand, three meals a day is not, it's not really healthy for our bodies, right? So it's from what I understand or from what I'm, I mean, because I know nothing about, about not nothing about nutrition and like the way things are supposed to be. But from what I've heard, three big meals a day are not really great. We're, we're more meant to be grazers. Is that, does that I think it really depends on yeah. on your metabolism and so i think again it's really like what works for you i used to i'm not much of a breakfast eater and always felt like i should eat breakfast because mm. that was one of those things where i always felt like you know that's it, it, people who skip breakfast tend to gain weight. And, you know, it was always about the weight for mm, me. And right. so I remember always, you know, one article this week tells you that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And then next week it's, you know, oh, intermittent fasting. Like there's, there's so many mm, different right. approaches to health. And I think that's where it's really like what works for you when do you start feeling hungry? That's a great time to start, you know, um, right. to start really 
paying attention to what works for you. I don't think there is one way for anyone. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's just what you were talking about with the culture and and shoulds. I mean, you think about where it starts. I think it starts in the pediatrician's office. The first mm. time you go with your baby and they start giving you growth charts oh, and BMIs. And I think giving a parent a child's BMI I mean, the BMI is, if I can swear on this podcast, the BMI is bullshit. We, it, there's so mm -hmm. much out there to talk, you know, I could go on and we could have an entire episode about how terrible the BMI is and the history of the BMI. But, you know, it's really one of those things where as a parent, I remember going to the pediatrician's office and being told my child's growth charts. And if they were, mm -hmm. you know, and judging right. my parenting based on these random numbers, right? Oh, great. Oh, my, you know, they're really high and, or they're really low. And my daughter had a really small head. And I remember, Remember just like feeling like I had, I had somehow done something wrong as a parent. And it was always laughable right. to me because that was something I felt like, well, you can't control your child's head size. So you just have to live with it. But weight and food is one of those things we feel we can control. And so mm. we get in there and you want to do well, you want to be an A plus student. And so a lot of that even starts from infancy with our children and placing them on these charts of what is and isn't normal. And right. so I'm like, of course, we're, you know, of course, we're following those messages of, of how, you know, how we parent and what we feed our children as a reflection of how much we love them or how good we are, or all of that. And so, yeah, it's so ingrained. Weight is so ingrained in our sense of, of worth and, mm -hmm. and health. And I think it's really, really problematic. Yeah. You know, you were talking about the, the BMI. I, I'm in love with our pediatrician. I just, she's amazing. And she was not that pediatrician. She was the Oh, look, he's just on his own. He's on his own. He's growing. Look, <laughs> right? he's growing. He's on his own. He's on his own path and he's growing. Like she never, she, she'd show me the chart. Cause I think she, they, they have to, I, I don't know if they have to or not, whatever. She would show me the chart and look, he's grow just maybe, maybe to show me that he was growing. He was premature. So, um, and then ended up in the hospital and, um, and lost a bunch of weight, um, when he was God, like 10 days old, maybe. And so there was this, the, the, it wasn't her, we, we found her later, but there was this, the baby's got to gain weight. The baby's got to gain weight. The baby's got to gain weight. And so I was like doing this weighing, feeding, weighing. I mean, it was, it was craziness because I wanted to nurse and not give formula. It was just my own, it was my own stubbornness and my own, my own thing. I'm like, I'm going to get one win here. Yeah. I'm going to control this one thing and I'm going to do it, man. I'm going to, but it, it's kind of a different thing, but it was the, it was all about the, the, the gaining the weight. It was the number, right? Mm -hmm. He's, he's got to be at this number at like, yeah. why does he have to be at that number? He's growing. <laughs> since you said that like he and then when we found our pediatrician who said no he's on his own he's on his he's, he's on his own path I'm like oh thank god well, and that's where I think it can be so important to advocate for ourselves as neurodivergence, where it's like in a situation like that, it might be helpful to say, you know, these numbers trigger me for these reasons. Mm -hmm. so there might be a lot of parents who see growth chart numbers, because obviously in a situation like that, you're going, it's important for a doctor to pay attention to growth charts. I don't, I'm not saying they're irrelevant, but right. I'm just saying if you are somebody who is prone to 
be led by wanting to achieve numbers, right? If you if you feel that in yourself, then that's a great way to say, you know, please keep that for me. The same way that being weighed in a doctor's office, we have a right to say no, and we have, or right. even just step away from the scale or look away from the scale and say, please do not tell me the number because it will dictate my mood for the rest of the day. So mm, knowing right. what your triggers are in a doctor's office and being able to advocate for yourself, I think is really important. And that's something a diagnosis helps many of us do, which is realize, okay, this is how I think this is what I'm prone to do. Um, I'm sure there's, you know, a lot of people who aren't bothered by those numbers and go about their day and don't think of it as a reflection of their parenting. I am not one of those people. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, so I think it's, it's, it's being able to have that kind of conversation with your doctor and, and hopefully they can accommodate. Yeah. You know, Katie, I'm glad you shared that about the doctor. Because we don't, you know, we talk about like advocating for yourself in the workplace and advocating for yourself and your family, with your friends, with, you know, all kinds of things, but with the doctor too, I, 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 that, that was another aha. Like I, I love my doctor and she's, she's, um, yeah, she's very, oh, well, maybe we want to, you know, she's, she's, she's like the pediatrician in the, oh, well, maybe we might want to have that checked out. Like not, she's not alarmist. Thankfully, because mm -hmm. I can't, their, their alarm sends me, you know, like flipping yeah. out. Um, but I love that. I love that, the, the suggestion that, you know what? I don't really want to know. And, and refusing the weight, the, the, the scale. Why not? Why can't we refuse the scale? It's so funny. I didn't, didn't even think about those things. Okay. These are the things we do, right? We when absolutely we can. And that's actually something I write about in my book, because I think there are a lot of people who are in larger bodies who avoid the doctor's office mm -hmm. because of weight stigma. And they oh, don't geez, even want right. to get on the scale because of the inherent judgment of getting on the scale. So they don't go to the doctor's office at all. And that's, that's tragic, right? Mm, and so yeah. I'd let people know if that is the thing that is keeping you, if that judgment is keeping you from taking care of your own physical health, then you are absolutely within your right to to, to refuse to be weighed. Uh, for the most part, doctor's offices require health markers for insurance, but there are lots of other health markers that they can use. Weight is just the easiest, simplest one for them to do. But I mean, blood pressure, uh, heart rate, those are other temperature. These are all other ways that they can sort of measure your health for the appointment. So it's definitely a conversation to have, especially if you feel like it is the, the barrier that is keeping you from taking care of yourself. Right, right. What a beautiful, beautiful reminder. <laughs> so if there was one thing that our listeners could start with right now, um, when it comes to food and, and their ADHD, now that they understand that there is a connection, that we do have a, a Food can be a little more challenging for those of us, and especially women, right? I think, I think food is, food can be challenging for women, especially, and then for women with ADHD, especially, especially. Mm -hmm. I think for, gosh, just one thing. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, well, how about three? <laughs> okay. Well, I think, I think making the connection between binge eating and control and restriction is mm -hmm. is a really important start. So if you find that you're binge eating, and again, to, just to define binge eating as on as far as I'm concerned with binge eating, it's not the amount of food you're eating, it's how out of control you feel around the food that you're eating. So mm -hmm. if right. you're at the end of the day and you're feeling like, why am I going back over and over and over again? Why is my head in the pantry? I'm not hungry, but I feel like I can't stop. Mm -hmm. That is where, 
that's how I kind of identify the binge eating element. And a lot of that feeling out of control is that I shouldn't be doing this. And I am, and I'm disappointed in myself. And so there's a huge should right there. So starting to pay attention to some of those shoulds behavior is really important where it's sort of like, are you doing things? Are you avoiding foods because as you know, do you, do you not have foods in the house because you feel out of control around them? Mm -hmm. So maybe what would that look like if you brought it back into the house and just allowed yourself access to that food and just mm. really started to relax some of the really, really, you know, white knuckling feelings we have around certain foods. Right. Um, and if and and starting to look at uh behavior helpful behaviors um and how much of this is so okay i'm getting all tongue-tied hold on <laughs> so, so the a question that i ask myself a lot around food is if i am not eating something if i'm saying no to a food is this a decision for my health or is this a decision that is based on control? Is this mm. a decision about weight? Is this a decision about being smaller? Is this a, is there a should in there somewhere? Right. And that's why I really have to you start making those decisions where it's like, am I choosing this food because I think it's healthier in terms of weight or is it healthier for another reason because healthier mm. then brings in mental health am i eating this because i'm in a good mood and i'm happy and i want to right, right. um am i eating this because it feels good in the moment am i eating this because it's the only thing i'm capable of putting in my body right now mm, you know a right. lot of those things incorporate health and mental health in a way that is healing and nurturing and not restricting. Mm -hmm. Restricting is, am I eating this because I really want to eat something else and I'm avoiding it because it's bad for me. And so I'm going to eat this. And I'm, you know, what we talk about in the anti-diet community, we talk about like eating around foods, right? Which is like, there's chocolate in the house and I don't want to eat the chocolate. So I'm going to eat something else. And that's not going to be enough. So then I'm going to eat something else. And then I'm going to eat something else. And then at the end, and then eventually you eat the chocolate, right? So you should have just eaten right. the chocolate in the first place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, but a lot of that idea of like, uh, what is behind my choices to eat this particular food? Okay. I think it really is starting to look at that and really it, it it helps to it helps us to start looking at health and redefining health outside of a weight centric model and that's um that i think is really really important and you know again if you haven't already throw away your scales you know health health is really really simple health is eat nourishing food and drink water and mm -hmm. get sleep and take your body out for a walk every day. Like that's help. Like if right. it's anything more than that, if it's, you know, if it's flat stomachs and all of that stuff, that's not health, that's control. And so right. that's where we start to get into um, uh, behaviors in, in response to that control. And that's right. where we start to get into, you know, problematic behaviors. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think um, about uh, the work that I do, I do, I do, um, there's a lot of law of attraction in the work that I do too. So if we are focusing on the scale, if we're focusing on the weight, if we're focusing on the what we're not supposed to have, that's where our attention goes. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, maybe we can also kind of turn it around. Like what, what do I want for myself? How do I want to feel rather than what can, what can I have? What, 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 what do I want? What, what is, how do I want to feel? 
And maybe that that understanding in yourself of when I eat this, I feel bad. When I eat this, I feel neutral. When I eat this, and and so that's back to the mindful eating, you know, mm-hmm. like Absolutely. when I eat this, how how do I? And that's another, you know, another thing we were talking about the the eating over the counter, eating over the sink. I was a teacher for year. I waited tables through college, and then I was a teacher, right? So I've been. Um, eating standing up since I was like 18 years old, right? It's just kind of a habit. Um, And, but just for, just to eat, like not even tasting what I'm eating, you know? And when I, when I started to do a little more of that mindful eating, it was more of eating for pleasure rather than eating for a need or eating, like you said, because of a restriction, because my mind's going bing, bing, bing. I'm not supposed to have it. Bing, bing. It's like the, the, telling the kid not to not to go into the road. You know, where's the kid going to go into the road? Because you just told him to focus on the road. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's been so many studies with children and intuitive eating where if you offer them all sorts of different foods and you offer them variety, children take care of their nutritional needs very well if it's available to them. Right. And we're the same way. When you tell an adult who has a history with dieting, eat whatever you want, they panic because in their mind, they're afraid that eating whatever they want is I'm going to eat an entire cake and I'm going to do all of this and I'm going to do all of these terrible behaviors and I'm going to blow up and 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 wail, you know, gain all of this weight. And, and that fear is there because of the messages we've been taught from diet culture. But if you right. actually, when you start allowing yourself to eat whatever you want, you get that out of your system really quickly and mm-hmm. and we actually become much better at taking care of our our nutritional needs once we start to really sort of like you said like tune in to what makes me feel good you know right. obviously eating an entire cake is not going to make you feel good maybe you could do it once and then you you know you're not going to do it every day so right. it's really about like how do i release some of that tension and restriction and trust myself and my body um to 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 take care of myself that that can be terrifying for those of us who have been entrenched in diet culture for most of our life right right katie this has been a fantastic conversation (laughs) you shared so many gold nuggets in this conversation and i think um our listeners might want to go back and listen again (laughs) re-listen and kind of and take note katie brought up some really um brilliant points and that that what did you say about the um the uh number one predictor of weight is restriction and that's exactly what i'm talking about right the Mm -hmm. the uh the 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 your mind is going to what you're what you're restricting that's where it goes yeah our bodies hate restriction they love homeostasis so when you start calorie restriction your body is going to go into overdrive to try to gain that weight back yeah Absolutely. Well, Katie, thank you. Thank you for sharing your brilliance. Um, And uh, please tell our listeners how they can find you. Definitely tell them about your book, tell them about your podcast and all your coaching and all the things. Well, thanks for having me and having this conversation. I think um, it is such an important topic for so many of us with ADHD. Uh, So my website is womenandadhd.com. And I also host the Women and ADHD podcast. You can find anywhere you listen to podcasts. And uh, my book is called Worth It, A Journey to Food and Body Freedom. And you can find a 
link to that on my website too, but, uh, and it's also an audio book too, because that's how I, I, I exclusively listen to books. So, right. <laughs> so it's on audiobook too. Um, and yeah, I think that's, that's where you can basically find me. Okay. Well, definitely go check Katie out. Listen, her podcast is brilliant. And, and if you want to feel, um, she interviews, um, women with ADHD. She, she, um, she's, brilliant at asking the questions um and uh, uh to, i don't know katie you're just you're, the way you're you're the way that you interview is really beautiful and you really help for um you know when you interviewed me to help me to really think about my journey and make connections and oh yeah no yeah no yeah so definitely if you if you um if you have ever thought you know if you've ever ever felt like a square peg in a round hole listen to women in adhd and you will not feel like that anymore <laughs> so Aww. definitely go check out katie go check out her podcast say hi tell her you tell her you heard her on the vision driven mom with adhd and um uh, yeah, Katie, thanks again. It's been a, a great, always great to connect with you. Oh, thanks, Tracy. Thanks. Goodbye for now. Thank you for listening to the Vision Driven Mom with ADHD podcast. Now, one thing I know for sure is that managing ADHD is not a one-stop shop. There are so many tips, tools, practices, treatment options, and lifestyle accommodations to consider. It's easy to feel overwhelmed and wonder where in the world to start. If you're nodding your head yes, then you'll want to check out the free ADHD supports guide. It's a super simple step-by-step -step guide that keeps your ADHD brain engaged because it's interesting, it's important, and sometimes even a little exciting. I invite you to consider yourself a detective as you discover the ideal combination of supports to help you remain calm, be more consistent, stay focused on what's important, shift out of overwhelm and other big emotions more quickly make decisions more easily, and develop more confidence, all while becoming more of the person you know yourself to be. Download the guide at visiondrivenmom.com forward slash ADHD supports, or find the link in the show notes. I truly believe that you can have ADHD without ADHD having you. Goodbye for now.